Sunday at selected theaters in the Dallas-Fort Worth area. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Whose Filmography Is It Anyway? Today, we get deep into the swamp, or I guess lake, because uh, Jason is there. We're going to go... Swampy lake. It's a swampy lake. <laughs> Filled to trash. Today, we're going to cover parts five and six, and... Oh, God. They're doozies. So, with me, as always, is my co-hosted friend... Josh Page. Thank you, Stephen. Thank you for another lovely introduction. <clears throat> Folks, if you've been with us for this long, God bless you, or, or whatever it is you believe in, bless you and keep you. This has, been a, <laughs> this has been a journey through hell and back, and Jason hasn't even gone to hell yet. But <clears throat> Jesus Christ, this uh, some crazy, wicked, wild stuff, bro. Um, yes, Stephen, we are on the other side of the hill. Um, for those as those listening, uh, we are covering the original uh, Friday the 13th franchise parts one through 10. So we're going to go into we're part five. There. There. We're halfway there. Well, in like 30 minutes, we'll be halfway there. This, uh, so I think uh, we should forego telling the people how we've seen this movie. I feel like it's the same story. Um, as, uh, yes, my AMC Fear Fest. AMC yeah, Fear Fest, <laughs> and I watched it last week. All right, this is wonderful. We've caught the people up. <laughs> Congratulations. You now know our backstories with these movies. So uh, so then let's just get right into production. We're going to dive into Friday the 13th, a new beginning. Production. A new beginning, yes. Unfortunately. <laughs> yeah, this, this, you know, uh, I'll save my feelings for after. <laughs> so this movie, of course, they brought in a new director. One whole year after deciding, let's kill Jason, they said, you know what? Let, you know what we need? Another Friday the 13th movie. Another Friday the 13th film. Because part four came out in 1984. Part five came out in 1985. Took them all of a year to want Jason back. Uh, they brought in a new director. I feel like the cast and crew of these movies, it like they're almost as expendable as the as Jason's kills. Oh, absolutely. I mean, the tone of these movies are just, it's funny, there's no, there's really no consistency. I always thought, even with some of the, I think it was part four, the, the director came back from part two or? Minor came back for part two and three. That's, and that is the only uh, dual directing we've seen. Thus, otherwise, everyone else has been uh, a brand new. Right. Even with Tom Savini coming back, like it's there's a little of, of continuity, but really, these yeah, movies are literally every cast and crew member just like vanishes. It's different directors. You couldn't even get uh, the same Tommy in this movie, and then the next one you couldn't get the same Tommy either. It's so, really <laughs> maybe Tommy is just all of us. The every movie, it's a new Jason as well. So it's, they can't keep anyone. <laughs> It's really so, something. The director of this one is Danny Stein Steinman. Yeah, Steinman. Stein? Steinman? Steinman? Slippy Stein. And this was the last movie he ever directed. Oh, so, no. <laughs> he's still alive. He got G-lead out of Hollywood. Oh, boy. Um, 
So apparently none of the actors had any idea that this was a Friday the 13th movie because to the public, it was over. You know, the literally Jason dying, they thought would kill the franchise, but nope. They couldn't get Corey Feldman back for the movie because uh, at the time he was a little busy making a movie called Goonies. I don't know if you've ever heard of it. I've heard of it. I've heard of it. Uh, although he was in one scene. He was in one scene and he had to shoot that scene on a Sunday. Uh, in, because... the back, in the backyard of his neighbor's house. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Which is wild. Which is why the scene feels like it's shot in the backyard of Jason wasn't even there. Like, he's reacting to nothing. He's just sitting behind a bush going, (gasps) and he said it was freezing the entire time. It's really wild. Oh, boy. But in a later interview, Corey said that he was, he either thought it was a blessing or a curse. He didn't get to come back for this movie. I, yeah. But he almost wishes that he could go come back for a Friday 2.0 2.0 situation or 2.0 situation like Halloween. Like, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because he feels like he and Jason are tethered, but that's not going to happen. That's right. Um, just some fun facts. It, it looks like 100 to 150 red suits were made for the character Reggie, which is <laughs> absolutely absurd. Do you need that many jumpsuits? Wait a minute. For the child? Yeah, the child. Had 150 red suits designed for him? 150 made for him. Because it's just outlandish. (laughs) That's about 140 too many. (laughs) Absolutely. Um, (laughs) How how dirty and, and ripped were the outfits getting? I don't understand that. I have no idea. I don't want to. Uh, Harry Manfredini. Manfredini. Uh, I'm Manfred. The, the composer of all the previous Friday the 13th movies came back, and he said he found this to be the hardest score that he's written for, this, for the franchise. Like the most challenging. Yeah, the most challenging, because he wanted the score to sound Jason-like, but not about Jason, really, because it's really not, you know, obviously spoiler alert, uh, but it wasn't Jason. So he has to come up with a theme that's Jason-like, but not Jason. Uh, Apparently the MPAA came down hard on the sex scene in the woods. It was supposed to be like a full-blown porn. (laughs) It was originally three minutes long, and they forced them to cut it to 10 seconds. I know that we have made this joke in the past, but honestly, if Tommy Wiseau made this movie, I would not be shocked at all. There are certain, and this is a collective, we always, yeah, always tease a little final thoughts, but it's like between parts three, parts five, like there's, there's just dialogue and scenes where I'm like, especially like, yeah, given the sex scenes and like how intricately detailed they want to shoot them and, um, it definitely, it definitely's got Tommy uh, all over it. <laughs> what a story, Josh! It's really quite a story. Um, that's all I really have. Do you have anything to add? Um, yeah, a bunch of notes here about how they were trying to give it an, an X rating because the MPAA. Yeah, the MPAA um, came down hard on a bunch of stuff, but the uh, one I found the most fascinating was the sex scene. It's really because they also uh, came down hard on the axe to the head, you know, with the oh yeah yeah the guy who was doing blow with the head, the axe came down on him. 
Apparently, um, it's more graphic, but. Uh, this is the first film in the series where Jason's actually referred to by his full name, Jason Voorhees. <laughs> He's only referred to Jason in the other films, while wow. not referred while not referred to by name at all in Friday the 13th Part 3. There you go. That's um, how much of an impact your character has. People just know who he is. Um, I, I do... I'm sorry, keep going. No, I, I... This isn't really a problem with this one, I guess, but it's just astounding to me how many people, like, know who Jason is in these movies. It's... I, I, whatever. Literally uh, everyone is just like, oh, okay, Jason. Like... There's no problem. Like, we know who Jason is. Um, and I think that comes more in play in part six, which we'll talk about. Yeah, that's why I was saying I'll, we'll talk about it more later. Because it's got that impact of who, the whatever, his legacy or his uh, the legends, I guess, more come into play. But I digress. I actually don't want to talk about the pre-production anymore. <laughs> yeah, let's get into it's our categories. Of, it's kind of hurting my brain a little bit. As always, our categories are best kill, best chase, best weapon, worst character, best quote. Josh, tell me, what is your best kill? Um, <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. I make notes while I'm watching, so like... Oh, me too. You so I get have into some notes. Well, no, it's just I have notes written while I'm writing about like the categories. Um, I have the couple runner-ups... Um, <laughs> a couple runner-ups the fake pam kill at the end uh junior beheaded on the bike um the per <laughs> i wrote the uh pervert blinded by bees on a tree <laughs> um so here's my true runner-up is the flare in the mouth yep that was my runner-up <laughs> this movie's so ridiculous the flare in the mouth was great it was just unexpected um but <laughs> I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. I get to this. My best kill has to go to, um, I, mean, I didn't write the character's name, the woodchopper uh, axing Joey. And I wrote, we've all been there. <laughs> this, this guy's angrily chopping wood and he's getting taunted by this chubby man with chocolate all over his he's face. He's not even being taunted. He's being offered chocolate. And I really thought I was watching a, I really thought it was a dream sequence or it was a, or was something else because in a blind fit of rage, the man takes his axe and he screams and he chops the guy and then the cuts of the cop cars. I'm like, there's no way that's what just happened. And um, it's honestly, it wasn't even a Jason kill which was my favorite kill of the movie. I really. That, that's fair. That's a good one. That, that was mine. That is a good one. Because it just literally <laughs> happens in the middle of broad daylight, witnesses and everything. And it's like fairly early on in the film. And he just screams. And I'm like, like you said, broad daylight. Everyone is around. It's outrageous. You know how we talk about the movies that have set up movies in the beginning and it's the rest of the movie is just them retelling what happened in the first five minutes. Right, right, right. In the first five minutes, someone who is not Jason is killing someone. So maybe they're setting it up, but I also don't know if I'm giving them too much credit. I, I don't know. I don't know if they were that smart. I don't know if they thought about it that much, but I don't know. But please I don't know. My favorite, tell, was, I did the love the flare to the mouth. That one was mm -hmm. hilarious. Yeah. Um, but I went with George Winter, the outhouse fearing. Because oh. it was just like ridiculous. This character was ridiculous to begin with. Oh, yeah. Like running to the bathroom, like... I, <laughs> I'm sorry. The setup to this was just ridiculous. 
why did he go to the bathroom? Like, what was he eating? He's like, oh, I got to go to the out, outhouse. And it was a whole... <laughs> like, he just, like... Whole, it was a whole... Not a subplot, but it was a whole extended part of the movie like it's like it came out of nowhere it's a scene clearly designed to have him get killed in the can like while he's shitting i guess but uh it was just (laughs) can i ask a question what is with this franchise and outhouses i don't understand it like i don't uh, there are so many places in these movies that have bathrooms they have bathrooms he was right outside a restaurant and (laughs) even in like i forget which one it was the one with the stoner um, and they go to the house. Uh, I par- think that was part, part three. three. Yeah. In that one, oh, yeah. he runs to an outhouse. There's a bathroom in the house. What is the <laughs> point of you, you going to the outhouse? I feel like the, because original Friday the 13th is like, oh, they're cabins in the woods with camp counselors. So it creates a vibe, right? So I can't help but feel like that vibe, especially with like Jason being like a mutant, kind of like whatever inbred, <laughs> whatever. It, it kind of creates this like, I don't know how, to, how else to put it, like a trailer park trash kind of mentality where it's like everything's a little dingy and everything's a little like off. And so, and, and, and things have to be woodsy. And so like, I guess like one of the running things is like, oh, an outhouse, that's perfect for this franchise. Yeah. They must think so. <laughs> it, and that it's character- outlandish. He, I mean, he looked like he jumped out of like a michael jackson video or something it's dude he was truly a uh... <laughs> that's a wild character can we can we talk about this when does this movie take place i tommy's jump from boyhood to manhood i was just gonna say either happened like like several years happened and we don't know about and the world just stayed stagnant for those years or like what happened how did it's... tommy grow it's so funny you say that because I'm thinking about it. Is they, these movies don't address time time at all? Just, I guess you just I guess you're supposed to just assume it's whatever it's modern day, right? Whatever when it was shot. But yeah. you, if you look at the timeline, the part one he's a whatever and he and he jumps at the girl in the canoe. He's a kid still, a mutant kid. And then the second one is part two is five years later. Part three is shortly after that. Then there's another time. Um, I know part three and four take place shortly. I'll give that the benefit of the doubt. It's a shorter time period, but Tommy's a, a child and now Tommy's an adult. So in theory, if the first one happened in 1980, what year is this? <laughs> That's what I'm saying. Like I, it, it was just very strange. And, and I, what I, happened, I not that I truly care, but what happened to Trish, the sister? I don't, it's weird because he looks at a picture frame of her early on when he's in like the the home, he's in the, yeah. and he has a picture frame of her and he's like sad. And I guess you're supposed to assume he died, but there's no dialogue about it. Yeah. Not, not that I can recall anyway. He just looks at a picture and that's the end of it. So did she <laughs> die? Like, did I, I don't understand. Apparently it is explained in a Friday the 13th video game. I just don't know if that's like considered canon. I was just I, gonna say, is that canon? We're going into the EU now? <laughs> Yeah, in the game, she, like, left Tommy because he became too obsessed with Jason. But I feel like she was a better sister than that, so... Um, also, well, with Tommy's motives, we'll talk about that between this and the next film, but, like, what is even... I don't even know what's going on with this character because with the idea he's going to become the next Jason at the end of the last film. Now he's trying to get help, and then we'll talk about how his, you know... Yeah, his the character, character dynamic just... 
a like you said, it's there's no continuity. There's no rhyme or reason. I feel like this movie is kind of like Community season four. People just like don't like they don't acknowledge it. It didn't exist. It was the gas, the gas leak, leak season. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Um, so let's uh, let's chase. move on. Yes, I went with Reggie and Pam at the end because that's, it was really the only. That's my only one option. And the reveal of all the dead bodies and they're running and I'm like, oh, I guess this is. This is what we're going Yeah, the reveal of the dead bodies was hilarious. Like, he yeah. just put, he just stockpiled them all in <laughs> the same room, I guess. I don't. He, like we've said in for part four, he, he moves, Jason seems to move pretty quick. But it wasn't Jason. He, he doesn't have these powers. Oh, well, that's This isn't true. even an oh, undead zombie. <laughs> this was just, just some guy. I keep forgetting. Oh, man. I, well, I can't, I'm not ready for that yet. <laughs> all right, let's move on to best weapon. Um, so my runner up, um, was the hedge clippers. Mm-hmm. It was over, uh, I guess he, uh, whatever, plucked up the eye. I don't know. He just, she had, she had like slashes over her eyes. Yeah. yeah. But she, I, I thought think he had, like cut into her brain through her eyes or something. It's a cool weapon, but the flare was my, my best weapon. I, Mine too. That's the clear it's winner. Just, it's just so inventive. Yeah. Yeah. Very. <laughs> Just that one shot where it's like the puppet head and it goes in the mouth, and I'm like, what is happening? Um, really wild. <laughs> Some good wild stuff. Worst character. Um, I feel like there are only two answers for this. Like, Ethel and her son, Junior. <laughs> I just... Those characters were outlandish. It was absolutely <laughs> absurd. Her wig was, like, so noticeable. Her attitude was like, what the fuck are you doing? And then this guy comes in and like, there's like some sexual energy between them. And you're like, what is happening right now? Like, what is going on? This um, redneck trash. I, I can't. Gotta get true. these mental kids out of here. It was true. Beverly Hillbillies. Like they were, I mean, I said Junior was the worst, but I mean, I think Junior and Ethel are interchangeable. They're both terrible. There's some of the worst out, outlandish, trashiest characters we've seen in this franchise thus far. I feel I just, like they were trying to be funny and it just <laughs> failed miserably. It's And like, like you said, there's a weird sexual energy. He co- he shows up and she's yelling. She's like, got her gun and she's yelling. She's like, I see you kids on my property. I'll blow your brains out, whatever. And then he comes along with his helmet, his like pilot helmet. And I'm like, okay, is he mentally handicapped? Is this her husband? Is it her son? Right. Is it her- what is happening? Clean the chicken coop. <laughs> Clean the chicken shit and I'll, I'll ah, feed you. Like, what, was, <laughs> what is happening right now? And then Seabree's on the on the motorcycle and he's yelling and he's <laughs> I don't I don't remember. This movie I, It's really outrageous. <laughs> this movie broke the carnal rule set up by uh Th- Tropic Thunder of like never going full R word. I'm not gonna say that. <laughs> Yeah. But Robert Downey Jr.'s character in that movie says it perfectly. Like, you never go full mentally challenged. Never. And there are at least two characters in this movie that go for it. Full it. <laughs> they broke the rule. Full force. The they chocolate really character, I forget his name. He was awful, too. Oh, uh, he was a runner-up of mine. Joey. Joey. Me- I wrote Joey, the messy eater, in case I forgot. <laughs> <laughs> he, uh... What's it called? He's another one who went full mentally challenged. And I, I can't. 
goes up so early on. These girls are doing laundry with white bed sheets. And he's like, hey, want some chocolate? And he's picking up these, he's got, he's a grown ass man with chocolate all over his face. He's got chocolate on his fingers. He goes to pick up the white bed sheet and they're yelling at him. Like he's, like you said, like he's full blown. What is this camp? Like, I don't understand. Are, are these kids like mentally challenged, emotionally battered, physically abused? Like what is this camp? And who is this man who set this place up? It seems like a weird convent cult. It's like, um like a self, it's supposed to be, I guess, like a self-help clinic, which I guess for the, the character of Tommy makes sense. But I feel like someone watched part four. And again, it's like Charlie in the room with the um, um, Pepe Sylvia, you know, sitting there smoking a cigarette. And they're like, all right. They're like, so listen, Tommy's, cr Tommy's crazy, right? We're teasing him being the new Jason. Need a reason for him to come back. What's happened? What's happening with Tommy? So I feel like they developed an entire subplot of a clinic around Tommy because he's clearly um, traumatized by everything. What from makes you say movie. that? Well, well, Why you say see, see, well, you see Corey Feldman shaving his head and uh, <laughs> pretending to be Jason. Die, um, die. But I, I digress. This is. <laughs> Let's get to worst quote or best <laughs> quote. Sorry, I meant best quote. Um, um, what's your, what's your pick? I had too many. Um, I want to give an honorable mention to Billy, uh, who was picking up the waitress. The waitress comes to the car. I'd like, I guess her name is Lana. I would like Lana to go with nothing on her. Um, about to snort coke, he says, and the forecast is cloudy in the mountains, sunny in the valleys, and snow flowers up your nose. I have that one. That was that's a, that was outlandish. A, um, that's <laughs> some real 80s shit. You'd, you know someone who like w worked on that writing staff was definitely on cocaine and said that to himself? 100%. Honestly, it may have been the director. Snowflowers up your nose. I was like, this is not a real line. I actually rewound it, wrote it down. I couldn't believe it. Um, another runner-up was uh, I wrote Reggie. <laughs> this is what I wrote while watching. I wrote Reggie's brother's girlfriend while he's shitting. <laughs> that's what I wrote. I'm crying. Where she says, "Better watch out for the snake that's gonna crawl up that crap. Better watch out for the snake that's gonna crawl up that crapper and bite your ass." <laughs> another 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 runner-up. So the the final. <laughs> The final. <laughs> I I don't know what's wrong with me today. I'm, I'm only drinking coffee this morning. I'm boozing. The final. The my actual quote, best quote, is Ethel to Junior, and she's yelling at him, and yeah. she says, "She says, you big dildo, eat your fucking." Pie. <laughs> I laughed so hard. <laughs> Some real she's, motherly love. You, you big dildo, eat your fucking slop. And that was the point I said, okay, we're what this is like Beverly Hillbilly is gone inbred, fully wrong, but um, please Absolutely ridiculous. tell the good folks at home what is your best and or worst quote. Um, well, one of them, the one of the runner-ups was Lana, the uh, cocaine guy's girlfriend. When she goes to the uh, bathroom and literally takes her tits out for no reason and just says it's showtime. Um, that was hilarious. That was I think that line was improvised. It was one of the trivia notes. That's funny. Like it wasn't in the script. She, uh, I feel this movie definitely had more boobs than any of the other Friday the Thirteenth movies. A lot of boobs. Um, and but I guess my real answer was Pam. Uh, at the end saying what's the matter Reggie it's me Pam 
Like, she's looking him dead in the face. She has to explain to him, it's me, Pam. What are you fucking talking about? <laughs> we know who you are. Outrageous, dude. Outrageous. All right. Let's just get into final thoughts for this movie. <laughs> I know we kind of brushed through it, but my I just... Head's, my head's hurting. <laughs> go, t- tell me, Josh, what are your final thoughts on this the, movie? And I may I, interject because this is more conversational than monologue. I, 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 I think we've said it all. I can't... This is... We've really brushed over all the highlights between the messy eating, the inbreds, the shouting, the vulgarity, the full-blown never go full, you know, um, it's just everything about it. The fact that, and I couldn't believe with the fake outs at the end with Jason falling off the ledge. And then I'm like, okay, they're building. I'm like, okay. And then the reveal that it's, jo- what is it? Joey's father was one of the cops and he was pretending to be Jason. There's n- cop the f- out. The fact that, <laughs> it's a pun, no pun intended. Um, the fact that it was, a, this not, it's not Jason at all. It's the beginning, and there's no Jason at all. There's no inkling that Jason is even here. And yet, like, Tommy has the nightmare that he's digging up Jason, and he's coming after him, and then it's not real. But then Jason, uh, sorry, Tommy, there's the reveal that kind of part four leads at, that Tommy's going to become the new Jason. There's that final shot of him with the mask on in the hospital. He pretends to jump out the window. I don't... Uh, there's so much, and that's just like the dramatic parts. I'm going to jump in. I yes. think I, I like the idea of him putting on the mask, but Absolutely. I feel like if you were going to do the twist of it's not Jason, it should have been Tommy. Oh, a hundred percent. Cause that's like what they're, le- that's almost like what they're leading to. Yeah. I understand that they want the dramatic moment at the end of like Tommy putting on the mask because it always comes back to the mask. No one cared who he was till he put on the mask. <laughs> but then they completely abandon it in part six. So I, just, it, it boggles my mind. If you want to make him the killer, then just make him the killer. He doesn't need an added experience to make him a killer. I was, I was, I was going to say that leads right into part six because it's kind of like, okay, we're just going to abandon everything that we wanted to do with um, I feel like they knew how bad this movie was because <laughs> when they moved on to part six, they were literally like, it doesn't exist. I was just going to say, it's kind of, it's really, you can jump right from part four to part six and you really, you, you wouldn't lose a thing. I'm going to be honest. This movie was like <laughs> truly difficult to get through. I, it was like almost painful. I, think I stopped and started this movie over and over again because I was just like I can't get through it it took me like three hours to actually get through it because I was just like this is too much tuna fish it's way too much I remember when I don't know if we said it on air I don't think we did it was the first episode where we had gone over parts one and two and I was like man what am I because as uh, uh, the, the folks at home know I, I have a history of this franchise I know it but like you know this is very new for Steven so I remember watching parts one too I'm like man what am what have I done I was like what have I done to Steven this is a I've made a huge mistake so like obviously like it gets fun as it goes along and this movie specifically I was like I was I was texting while I was watching and I was like dude I'm thinking like man this is really like this is really I this is not stuff like (laughs) this is quite a sign of friendship just just Honestly, I've been, I even 
not uh, like ruin anything. I, this doesn't ruin anything, actually. No, of course. I've already moved on. I've already watched part seven uh, and eight. So you're in the I'm thick ha- of it. I'm in the thick of it. I'm having fun with the consecutive movies. Like, but this one was just like, I, I it was rough. This was some <laughs> rough stuff. <laughs> it's really, I mean, I, I just, I keep, because I, I mean, they, I meshed all these movies together. I can't recall. There were very few of them before this deep dive you and I are doing where I could recall what movie had what kills and what scenes and whatnot. And this movie reminded me why I couldn't really, why a lot of it was fuzzy because so much of it is just blurred together by nonsense. And this is one of those movies where it's like, they're not even trying to have fun with it. Like, I feel like someone jumped in there and was like, we got to kill him with something fun. Let's put a, let's throw a flare in there. And then the director is like, nah, nah, we got to add more dialogue about cocaine, you know? And it's just, <laughs> and I'm just kind of like, hey, yo, we need more tits, more tits. It's like, okay, but we can have more fun killing. And I feel like they completely lost sight of It's not a shock that this movie came out in the middle of the 80s, 1985, because this is the epitome of what the 80s were. Cokes, coke, and tits. That's that's it. Coke, tits, and business. (laughs) And money. It's really, I really, I don't, I don't, it's not even that I, I don't hate this movie. I really just like, because I want to say, like, I, I really loathe this movie's entire existence. Like you said, it's difficult to watch. Like you and I can we put ourselves through these things because like movies are like, you know, it's all we know. So it's okay, it's um, like, we whatever, we've been down these roads before. We've watched bad movies, but like, this is not even like, like you said, with, with traces of Tommy Wiseau, like, like they're fun to watch, but like, this is like, this is next level, like dog shit. <laughs> <laughs> There's our rating, guys. This, I'm so sorry. This is a... Uh... I can't, that, let's move on to the next one please. I can't my brain is, is hurting just talking about it so let's jump right over the gas leak and go into move part on six. to part six Jason lives they thought the nightmare was dead Again, new director, Tom McLaughlin. Uh, the budget was $3 million with the box office returns of $19.4 million. So spending more and making less since Jason actually died on all these movies. Uh, came out in 1986. My guess is they saw the returns of part five, which I don't know if I said it was $22 million. Uh, and said, you know what, this isn't working. We need to bring Jason back. Just a guess. Just a guess. The Jason Liz aspect is a little more meta uh, than just the actual character returning. It's like, we really need this franchise to (laughs) to really come back in its own way. Uh, The director said that he's always been a fan of gothic horror, like Edgar Allan Poe, Frankenstein type shit, Mm -hmm. which is not a shock because he brought that into uh, this movie. Mm-hmm. It literally opens with Jason being reborn by a lightning bolt, which is as Frankenstein-esque as you could possibly get. Yeah, it, uh, it completely sets the tone. Uh, he says that he was given free reign on the film, and the thing he wanted to bring to the movie was humor. 
and Paramount said, that's fine. The only thing you cannot do is make fun of Jason. Because they oh. take Jason very seriously. Very defensive of her, uh, Jason. Okay. He originally did not see, he only saw the first Friday the 13th movie when he was approached. So Paramount brought him in and he had to binge watch the all of them. That poor man. That poor man. <laughs> I don't know if I could binge them like that. <laughs> not to reopen this wound, the Scorsese wound here, but this guy, uh, the director, Tom, he said that there's a difference between film and a movie, and he knew that this was a movie. Hey, he wanted fantasy from the beginning. He knew what it was. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it helped. So uh, let's move into production. Film and Coving. they filmed in Covington, Georgia, on an area near Atlanta. The lake was filmed in three different areas, one in Georgia for the exterior, the USC pool uh, for the beginning of the uh, for the beginning of the fight, they could only film there in one night, so they didn't get it all. So they filmed the rest of it in Culver City in the director's parent pool. Oh my god! <laughs> Ridiculous stuff. That's outrageous. The city had no idea that this was a Friday the Thirteenth movie. The code name was Aladdin Sane, which is a David Bowie album. They apparently that's a running thing that they do when they when they secretly were filming these movies they were coming up with David Bowie themed names. Interesting. This is not the first film to do that. That was a trivia from I think part three or four that they had done that. I just don't understand who cares enough to whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, um, there were actually two Jasons in this movie. Uh, Dan Bradley came in as the original Jason. And he did the paintball scene. The studio saw the dailies and they said, no, this, guy, this guy's not <laughs> working. Absolutely not. They said, no, not this guy. So they got CJ Graham. He was ex-military and not a stuntman. Uh, but he did stunts in this movie. He was there. literally chained 20 feet underwater for, the, for those sequences and was given air through a scuba diver like they literally gave him air while they that's, filmed it that's commitment that is commitment that's outlandish that's really outlandish i didn't know that he was actually i didn't i mean i didn't know how they did that scene but jeez jesus the director's wife was in the film uh oh really yeah she was um the one jason killed uh with the that tried to pay jason Oh, what was that? In the beginning of the movie? Yeah, in the beginning of the movie. With and Tony the... Goldwyn was the other guy. Yeah, that was so funny. Crazy. That's really wild. Um, like Tarzan. Yeah. <laughs> but they, I didn't understand. I had made a note of it. I completely forgot until you just said it. Is they slow zoom in or it's a slow, or it's a steady shot of the dead body with the, with the, the, the card, with the debit card or the credit because card. Because the guy, the director tried to invoke comedy in. And one of the jokes was, of, at that time was like about the credit card. I don't remember what the company's slogan was, but American Express had like a slogan and it was like a run, it was a joke about the credit card. Oh, okay. I didn't know if like it was like like an, uh, an extended ad for American Express. They get money from American Express to shoot this? Cause it was a very specific shot of the credit card that lingered. 
Yeah, I don't think that they got much. I, I, they could have. I don't know. I, I but know. from what the director said, it was a joke about the commercials for American Express at the time. Gotcha. They screened the movie at Paramount, and they said the kids loved it. Everyone loved it. But the director was told, you need three more kills. <laughs> because they wanted to kill every seven minutes. I guess that's they hit a certain point in this franchise where it's like you need you need beats you need action beats you need uh, yeah that's when that's one of those things people have to get murdered because it felt like especially towards the end especially in that final act that I get it was inevitable but like characters were kind of getting picked off and some of, sometimes it felt very random yeah well the one the caretaker was added like he wasn't originally supposed to die so wait they, a minute the guy drinking of, booze in the woods yeah. <laughs> Okay. And the couple in the woods was also added in. So uh, there are your three kills. The one guy with the motorcycle. The couple who was like having a picnic behind a fucking graveyard for God knows what reason. <laughs> I totally forgot that was even a thing. Oh my God. Yeah, wow, that's wild. <laughs> yeah, they also added uh, CeCe's uh, decapitation into it. The head? Oh, when they... Uh... Originally, the head was supposed to just roll out of the car, but they actually added the snapping of the neck into the movie. Okay. John Shepard was asked to come back as Tommy, but <laughs> surprise, surprise, he said no. Uh, so it went he, to Tom Matthews. Well, the note in IMDb is that becoming a born-again Christian, oh, he, did, he did not want to reprise the role. Um, so I guess... <laughs> Once he, he went from Jason to Jesus, and he... Uh, <laughs> I can he, see how uh, that movie could lead you to Jesus. <laughs> I'm picturing a, a screening of just all of them watching, and he... Oh, my God, what have I done? What have I done? <laughs> when you see your career blow up that bad, you have to question everything. Oh, man, that's just... I just think that's a funny little footnote they have. Like, after becoming a born-again Christian, it's like, that movie really did a number on him. Um, uh, the RV flip actually happened... They said they had to take everything out of the RV and reinforce the walls so the guy could actually be in the car. But they literally flipped it, and they uh, all had the one take on it. Yeah, that was I was saying. I was I'm never really impressed by like the production or stunts or whatever, but that was that seemed kind of legit. So yeah, that was impressive to me yeah, at yeah. least. Uh, the original ending for this movie was different. So originally, the ending was Jason's father coming to the graveyard to look at his son's grave, and the caretaker would like liter would keep the grave um, clean because J uh, Jason's father was like paying him off. Huh. It's interesting. That's an interesting subplot, but I don't know if that would have made it better or whatever. I don't know. That's interesting. I, I don't know. I. We've had this discussion about other franchises. Do we really need like we don't need to the father that. to come in and the mother? And, like the mother is obviously integral to Jason, but like, not anymore, I guess. But do we really need the backstory completely of Jason? Not really. We've, we've talked about this because this is the, this does the opposite of what the Halloween franchise does, where it's like, oh, you know, Michael and Laurie are brother and sister. It's like, oh, but then here's Laurie's niece, and now there's a there's a like a, a spiritual connection then in. And Michael has to kill all of the, you know, the Strodes. And then all of a sudden you find out like, oh, that there's this curse. And then he's actually part of a cult. And it's like, why are you, why are you? Um, yeah, at the end of the day, all we really need to know is that this person or thing is going to kill. 
that's, you know, that's, that's it. it that's it, literally all we need to know and this franchise seemed to realize that i guess by well really this is the one because the final chapter is the first time where it felt like okay this franchise like kind of it knows what it wants to do as a whole then it's this movie where it's like okay well now that we're going to keep going we're just going to like really embrace the absurdity of this hockey mask killer coming back again and again you know yeah of course because they uh at this point they know like jace's mother what does it matter it doesn't matter anymore um so that's all i got i just want to ask a question about the beginning of this movie <laughs> what was with that 007 uh opening <laughs> I was I'm mixing it up. I I thought that was part five, but they no, were clever. That was enough. part six. <laughs> he literally oh. walks into the eyeball and slashes. <laughs> like it was a 007 movie. It was a <laughs> and I literally burst out laughing. Well that's what's great is like it realizes the absurdity, but it's also like it's not I don't know, it's like that fine line where it's like, okay, you're trying to be make be funny but you're kind of trying to be like kind of cool, I guess, or like, I don't know. It's very interesting because, and I've said this in one of the previous episodes that you and I have recorded, but the idea of eighties slasher movies as like satire, like in other movies when characters are watching uh, scary movies and there's all these like really corny things. And I feel like like those, all those satirical elements come from the Friday the 13th franchise. Like, I mean, Friday the 13th spanned, even other lower grade slashers. Um, and so it's just funny because I'm looking, like you talk about the 007 sequence, I'm like, we are really just going full in on just like, oh, here's another Jason movie. And we're just like, you're in it now. It's yeah, just- I think this director just, he loved his jokes like that one. And let's talk about another hilarious scene that we'll probably not get to talk about because it doesn't match any of the categories. That sex scene, hilarious. She's literally just bouncing on top of him. It's uh, with a song in the background. Do I have to last throughout the whole song? Like, what yeah. is going one, on here? One of the trivia, top trivia notes is this is the first and only film in the entire franchise, including the remake, uh, to feature absolutely no nudity, given that there's a, there is the one sex scene. And it's just weird because it's like there's nothing erotic or ar- or arousing or feeling. It's just she's like you said, she's just. They're, she's got the they got the shirts on. She's just bouncing them, and then she's going to the song, and then he cuts the power, and I'm like, "This is what is happening right now." Um, it was ridiculous. It's kind of one of those things that like they knew that it's one of the scream rules where it's like, "Oh, the characters are having sex. You know, they're gonna die." So it's kind of like it's inevitable that if you just show over the shoulder, which I do want to talk about throughout, but they show a lot of just inner cuts of Jason like marching through the woods. Yeah, a lot. This is definitely the beginning of that trope. And like, and you hear like the music changing, and they're not even hiding him. Brought through the woods, just marching. So it's inevitable that they show this RV rocking, and then all of a sudden they show over the shoulder, and you hear the and he turns like, and he's it's like a very self-aware moment. Like you see the characters having sex, you know that they're gonna die, and they literally show over the shoulder, basically like, well, here's what's gonna happen. You know, it's gonna happen somehow. I got Um, these guys. (laughs) <laughs> and, but that one made no sense too because their RV wasn't near the house so I, whatever let's get hey. into the categories <laughs> let's jump into the categories uh, what's your best kill um, uh, I don't, as entertaining as this movie is I didn't have many 
best kills. I uh, didn't have any runner-ups. My only one was the face through the RV. That would, yeah, that was did, good. But it will it, come up later. Uh, that was just my one. That when I asked you that if, if you had watched um, the bus because I it was an RV and I remember because I remember watching that on TV years ago, uh, and just the face coming through and I just I cracked up. So I mean, I, <laughs> that's the only one I got. That's a good one. Um, yeah. I have two. Uh, the heart ripping out of the chest was pretty good. Oh, that was pretty good. Cool. Yeah, but yeah, yeah. My favorite was the paintballer that Jason smashed into the tree and it left a smiley face on the tree. That, yeah. <laughs> it was just so ridiculous. It was outrageous. He, Jason is just trying to make his own Wilson and uh, <laughs> that's all there is to it. <laughs> that's it. Uh, best chase. So... For my choice, I went with the cop car chase because it was it's, hilarious. Tommy yeah. is literally in Megan's crotch. The father's chasing after them. Like the car's going backwards. Yeah, the, her father like comes to see. Like the father literally stops them, and Tommy has to come up out of her crotch and be like, "Hello." It's so it's so awkward, and I just feel like the way that they do it, it's like, like they show her. She's excited about it because she's like turned on, but that, that, I guess, you know, she's with Tommy, but she's also like with the thrill of it. She pushes his face down. They drive backwards. And then, like, the father's like, they're like, how do you want us to proceed? He's like, he's like, very carefully or whatever it is. Like, that's my daughter, damn it, whatever. And like, I feel like all you needed was like banjo music while the cars were going. And it's just like you've created your own little created, Dukes of uh, Hazard. <laughs> Literally. Oh, that's my the, God. <laughs> that's the only scene. I mean, there's really. Sure, at the end, I guess there's a couple running around, but that was the only memorable chase scene. Um, <laughs> Ridiculous. Yeah. So, what's your best weapon? I only had one. Again, no runner-up, but um, and I want to talk about this. Is I have to, it's the throwing dart. Okay. And it's just funny because as the showing Jason again marching through the woods, I'm like, why does he kind of look like a janitor or a plumber? Like, and why does he have this like utility belt almost? And then I, and then it made sense. Cause he started, the more they showed him, the more I'm like, he kind of looks like he's like ready to like climb up a pole and like be, do some electrician work. And then they showed a close up of him with a utility belt pulling this little dart out. And then he threw it. And it, I'll say that because I, um, I can re recall it with the scene is when they threw the dart it went to the guy's eye and then it cut to a dartboard and they were throwing darts. And I want to bring up, there was a lot of like comical editing with this movie yeah. where someone would say a line and it would cut to a next scene that would like be a follow-up to the previous line. Well, that's um, what the director said. He wanted to bring comedy to it. So that's it, what he did. Yeah. Um, but that's the throwing dart is mine. But please tell us, uh, tell us yours. I went with, uh, well, my runner up is the whiskey bottle just cause that was good. It was pretty good. Um, but the one that I had to go with, you used it for best kill, but the RV bathroom wall. Come on. Hilarious. That's just the face. The fa it was literally a Nightmare on Elm Street moment with the face just being pushed out of a bathroom wall. It was so outrageous. Which is why the wall itself to me was the best weapon. No, that's good. That's good. That's very clever. Um, oh, man. That was ridiculous. It was outrageous. Who is your worst character? So, uh, there were a couple choices. Really, the only ones I could go with, it's a tie, were the paintballers. I yeah. can't help but feel like as funny and intentionally like comical as they were going with this movie, 
that whole sequence and those characters, I it literally felt like a completely different movie. I mean, they have this really um, goofy soundtrack going on while they're going through the woods. Um, and it's like very like they're playing jokes and they set it up like with like weapons and the machete, but it's like, it keeps revealing these goofy characters and they're all terrible. Uh, and they're One like- One of them was like a misogynist asshole. He was literally going off on a little monologue. Women should be in the kitchen. They shouldn't be playing yeah. these games. Why is she my boss? I was like, what is happening right now? Like, I'm like, this. where are these characters from? And they, they said that line about she should be in the kitchen. I'm like, Jesus Christ. I'm like, what, what are we going for? And, what year um, is this? <laughs> what, it's literally, I, you know, like you said last one, it's the last film. It's the, it's the mid-80s, you know, without the coke and the boobs. But now we're just still stuck in our misogynistic ways. But it's really, these, the characters were all terrible. And it's just weird because it's like it, the scene didn't fit with anything else in the movie. It was cool that it was in the woods. And like you said, it led to the smiley face kill, which was really great. But like, it didn't fit anywhere else in the movie for me. It was just, they were terrible. So that was, uh, that was mine. Yeah, that one's pretty good. Um, they were on my short list. Uh, as was Sheriff Mike Garris, because that guy was just like, ridiculous the father that's the father yeah he was he was my runner he was my runner up and then i liked the character and then i hated him again and then he was just so he was just such a douchebag i was like yeah he he i feel like they cops in like movies that don't know how to write cops make them like the uh book the library cop from seinfeld you know like they have to give backlip to anything like okay yep. buckaroo like i'll tell you one thing and it's just this guy was just so condescending and what a douchebag it's he looked terrible. like he belonged in the who are those the singers that do the ymca um um oh my god i can't believe you know who i'm wait. talking about no it's no wait 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 village people Bill, he looked like he belonged in the village, people. He did. It looked like a total costume. And he was so, I don't know, just like his personality went with his costume. Like, I don't know, just like he felt like he was, he felt like a, a Halloween character. Yeah. Um, he's yelled, a lot of yelling, a lot of just anger. Just he's very, <laughs> he's just full of rage. Um, not but, in a good way. But my actual answer is Clark, because what kind of idiot are you? You can't hear your girlfriend screaming in the bathroom of an RV. This is an um, RV. It's not even like a house. What are you doing? Um, yeah, he was really... Um, <laughs> so he was the one who tells... Because I think it's one of my quotes. Oh, no, I don't have it anymore. Um, he's the one who's talking to the kids in the beginning, right? Because like a lot of characters are kind of blended together a little bit. But there's one where... There's a bit where he's talking to the kids... He's like, all right, so there's this uh, this Indian, right? And he's, uh, you know, he's got his wife, like his squaw, whatever. And like he wants to like take his kid out and maybe kill some buffalo. I don't know. That's that character, right? I don't remember. I just remember him not be like listening to, like turning up the music and can't hear his fucking girlfriend in an RV because that makes oh. no sense. It's an RV. Those bathroom walls are paper thin. I'm sorry, because it's a runner up. That's actually a a lead up to it was one of my run-ups for the quote it's he's she's screaming he goes <laughs> she's screaming and i wrote it down he goes hey nikki what are you doing back there taking a dump <laughs> right and I'm, and so I'm he going, hears something he's literally hears her screaming being murdered he's he, then he, he thinks it's her taking his shit 
but uh, yeah, I, I think that's a good segue. Um, Let's go into best quotes. Best quotes. Um, <laughs> the, I, there were almost like too many, but a lot of them were intentional. Like there I were wrote a lot. Yeah. Like I wrote down, I really like the line, but because they drew attention to it, um, where she's pointing the taser and uh, at the guy's nose and he says, don't, she said, he says, don't clown around. And she says, I'm not the one with the funny red nose. I'm like, really? So like, there were a lot of intentional quotes that I didn't like. Um, but like, I get it. Um, to taking a dump line um there was how intentional it was it had i mean it had to be when they she uh megan kept pushing tommy's head down um while she was driving <laughs> she's going to make a wide turn and says gonna be a hairy turn <laughs> and <laughs> right before the turn i was like that has to be an intentional line. it has to be intentional because i believe i don't remember exactly they kept but showing they cut to his face they kept right? showing the and like shot. it was almost a wink yeah right they kept showing the shot of his face and she's like stay down and he was like and her okay. crotch and it was very it was very there was a lot of there's a lot of back and forth where she's like stay down he's like okay if you say so like there was a moment where he was like he was into it in but the paramount like, vault somewhere there's at least like 15 minutes of just her crotch there have there have to be because they kept they cut between multiple times of just the the crotch from his point of view so it was very strange so that was a runner-up but the line that i have the sheriff is yelling at tommy and he got so aggressive and <laughs> He's accusing Tommy the whole movie. And I, I had to write it down. He says, um, he's talking about, talk, tell him to leave town. He says, he says to Tommy, he says, if it were up to me, you should leave wearing your balls as earrings. <laughs> I've never. I told you, man. He was, just, he wants to be part of the village people. <laughs> it's really outrageous. Yeah, that one was ridiculous. That's what I was saying about his character, though. Everything is like a backhand, like it's a back sass. It's like, all right, bucko, fuck you. Like, I, I don't know. It's a is lot your... of cartoonish one-liners, but yes, that's my that's my one. Is the all appearance. Okay. Um, so I have a couple like you. The opening line, like around the opening, Tommy says, "Jason belongs in hell." I'm gonna see he gets there. I was just like, that is the cheesiest fucking line ever. It really Someone is like really... it's one of those lines where people, someone thought that it was clever. And it's just like no, no. The delivery and everything about it—it it was just bad. It's really, it really sticks. Out. I was gonna say another like the. I don't want me to cut you off, but like it was like when yeah. they said. Uh, uh, there were a couple. It's like, oh, well, he picked a hell of a day to to do this. It's like, what do you mean? He's like, Happy Friday the Thirteenth, and I'm like, okay, like I get it. You want to be cheek cheeky, tongue in cheek, whatever. And I'm like, I don't know. I'm just not really buying it. But yeah, uh, the sheriff. Uh, FNA hit the no hit the noise and cherries when he's referring to the the siren, just because that's the most ridiculous way I've ever heard a, someone reply to a siren. The grave digger, uh, dig him up. Does he think I'm a fart head? Oh my god! The dialogue and but my actual answer was so. What were you going to be when you grew up? One of the kids, like, it was the two kids. Oh, the kids hiding under the bed. Yeah, what, and one of the kids turns to the other. It goes, so what were you going to be when you grew up? Because I, in the behind-the-scenes video, the director was so proud of that line, and I'm like, why? This, like, these kids bear no relevance. Why are you cutting to them in the middle of the climactic battle? Right, why are you trying to give them comical lines? It's just, it's, it's outrageous. Yeah, I, 
the ending of this movie in general was outlandish. Does Jason not know how chains work? I just don't understand. It was, Can he um, not take them off his neck? <clears throat> there was a lot going on with that ending. It was really, it's, I mean, I don't, I don't, I mean, I don't know if you have, uh, not to jump into final thoughts. Unless no, we, we could jump else. into final thoughts. But it's really, I mean, this will segue in, but it's kind of like, I just, the movie was building and building and then they get to the chains and then there's the boat and he's like, we got to go back to uh, Crystal Lake. And I had assumed, maybe I was not paying attention. I assumed they were on a completely different lake. Um, but I guess this is Crystal Lake that was renamed or rebranded as something yeah, else. Yeah, the that. sheriff said that they renamed the town because they of did. So, all of okay. Jason's, um, full, you know, philandering. That's what I had gathered. I'm like, I'm looking and I'm like, this is so the same camp. It is Camp Crystal Lake. It's just, right. uh, you know. Um, and it's rebranded. weird because it's, it's one of those things where it bears no resemblance to the original film at all. But I get it. It's supposed to be whatever. It's... I don't know. Continuity shouldn't matter. It doesn't. I mean, there's in one of the Halloween sequels, they go back to the Myers house and it literally looks like a gothic mansion with like old candles. And I'm like, this is ridiculous. So, like, I mean, this is just obviously continuity in horror movies is not uh, something that people pay attention to, clearly. But they get to the ending with the chains, like I said. No, and and, and the motorboats, you know, with the chains, he's drowning. But then how deep down is that lake where she's in a motorboat and the, the propeller. It smacks him in the face. It's, it's ridiculous. It's like getting kind of cartoonish. And I get, it, like you had said, like they keep wanting it to be comical, but it's like, I it both works and doesn't work. Um, it's just very strange. Like when it worked, I was like, oh, this is like, this is probably the best uh, Friday film I've seen, you know, we've, we've watched thus far. And then there's moments I'm like, maybe I'm wrong. Like, may, like I just, it's, it's, it works well when it works. And when it doesn't, it's, it's just very noticeable. Um, I think there's too much meta, cheeky humor, whatever, where it like, uh, it doesn't always succeed. Um, <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I have, I've had, I think it's probably one of the more entertaining ones we've watched. Um, but it's funny because this is very reminiscent. Actually, look back from last week. It was very reminiscent of our part three and four discussion because like part five Yeah, you're going to reminiscent what I was going to say. Uh, yeah, it's part five and part three are, are like very like comically memorable because they're so bad. But like... Um, that's what that's a, that the room type quality is like part of what makes all of these movies special is how goofy they are because at the end of the day there's only so much um competently made filmmaking here you know what i mean like it's really they realized what it was and so they had fun with it so we're, we're the final chapter and jason lives are like let's have fun with it it's really like the part threes and the part fives where it's like okay but like, here are other attempts that are so outrageously ridiculous that like part, I feel like parts three and five were like they they fell into the trap of saying people don't care so like why should we we're just gonna do stupid shit and like throw whatever right. we can at the wall right where this movie as much as it's like not my favorite it tried at least yes. you know yeah, yeah, yeah the director tried to have an original like take on it and it's self-aware almost to a fault because mm-hmm. of it you know the opening with the lightning bolt resurrecting jason which you know as outlandish as it is it's 
it it sets up the tone for the rest of the movie Completely. of like crazy shit can happen in this movie. Yeah. You know, like even the fact that one thing that I noticed in these movies is like smell must not exist. <laughs> because like there's no way a corpse that has been buried for God knows how many years at this point, it was corroding. There's no way a corpse can sneak into a house, stand behind you, and you can't smell it. Yeah. The smell. It's... You haven't thought of the smell, you bitch. <laughs> <laughs> you haven't thought of the smell, you bitch. You haven't thought of the smell, you bitch. Oh. It's just... So I guess if you can accept people not knowing how to smell, you can accept people coming back to life via lightning bolt, but... <laughs> It, well, it's just outlandish, but it's trying to be something. I just feel like the tone got very mishmashed. It's not the worst Friday the 13th movie, but it's certainly like, I don't know. It's somewhere think, in the middle. I think what you said is like, is reminiscent. I don't want to go in circles, but it's like kind of, um, it's like the fact that you, they set the suspension of disbelief right from the opening scene. Like you said, it's like a lightning bolt bringing a corpse back to life. Like, sure, it's fun. It's a horror movie. But they're also setting this rule that's like, like you said, anything can happen. So it's kind of like you lose a lot of the unintentionally funny moments where things are just kind of being flubbed. Because like you said, like where parts three and five, it's like, we don't really care. No one cares why should we. It's a great, <laughs> it's a great motivational like a uh, uh, direction that they all must have had because that's how it feels. But that's what makes them, that's what makes them funny. That's what makes them memorable. Where with like parts with final chapter and especially Jason lives. It's like, okay, you're trying to actually do something that works. So when it works, it does. And then when it doesn't, it's just, uh, it just goes in the opposite. It's, I don't know. It does. It doesn't have that memorable feel that like, I was laughing my ass off just talking about part five because I'm like, this is a ridiculous movie. We're at this. I'm like, okay, it's admirable, but what am I, I really taking away? back a second, though. The thing about part three, though, versus part five, if we could talk about part five again for a minute, yeah. is just, I feel like part three was almost, we don't care. Like, they don't care, why should we? But it was, like, so ridiculous that like it almost worked where part sure. five was just you know like the point of being ridiculous terrible and great is something is a tightrope that is very hard to balance very mm -hmm. few movies have done that like the yeah. room mm -hmm. or like batman and robin mm -hmm. like if you are willing to walk that tightrope you can have fun watching these movies oh I yeah feel like part three walks that tightrope better than part five part five I, I... is just ridiculous and honestly the only good part about that movie they completely destroyed with this uh, with the sixth movie building up tommy as the killer yeah. which you know i guess i didn't need but then why are you teasing it in general right it's it's i don't i i do think that's fair i don't think you that part three and five can because i was just lumping them together but it's also there are those differences because like you said that tightrope was a great way of putting it um it's like the room quality. Like I could rewatch part three, you know, would I want to like, not necessarily at this moment, but like I could rewatch part three and I could get a few laughs out of it. And it's like with the bikers and the weird choices and the, the weirdly shot 3d moments and the woman 
jump or Mrs. Voorhees corpse jumping out at the end. And there's a lot and of there's outrage. Biker gangs and it's it's ridiculous. And that, and the bales of hay and I don't know. There's a lot going on. Whereas Our with part five, yeah. with with part five, it's like I can laugh about Joey being a messy eater and getting axed in broad daylight and making me laugh the hardest it would make me laugh in the entire movie, all in the opening fifteen minutes. But then like, you really don't get a sense of that kind of fun or absurdity that is very reminiscent from part three. Um, so yeah, it's really a, a pain in the ass to really sit through, like you had said, um, where it's like, you can see where, like you said, it, uh, the cast and crew are expendable. It's kind of, when you get to part six, you're like, okay, I don't know what we're doing anymore, but you can get a step watching these, especially you and I watching them as back to back as we are to get a sense of where the franchise works, where it's fun and where it's excruciatingly painful to sit through, you know? Yeah. I feel like, just to put a bow on the conversation, I just feel like part six, if you're going to bring Jason back to life, like they did it the best they possibly could have. Sure. So I think they could have had more fun with it for them to make it more like comedic. Like there's a footnote here I have. Oh, not that I have from IMDb. Um, Kevin Williamson, uh, I guess, is the, was the screenwriter told a director that this film had a huge influence on him growing up. Oh no, sorry. Kevin Williamson was a screenwriter, told the director that the film had such a big influence on, on him that it helped him inspire uh, the screenplay for Scream. I guess he wrote Scream. And Scream is an incredibly fun, self-aware and funny, tongue-in-cheek meta movie that has that perfect balance of it's self-aware. It's also effective as a slasher. And so it's like, I feel like this movie teases the complete fun that it could have, but it took itself a little too seriously, even though it was being absurd. Like it had fun with the kills, but it never really went like gonzo with it. So it never really knew what it wanted to be, I feel like. After watching this many Friday the 13th movies, and like I said, I already jumped ahead. I've watched uh, seven and eight. <laughs> I understand, like it really reinforces how revolutionary Scream was. Yeah. Like Scream came out in 1990. And 96. Uh, sorry, yeah, 96. And it reignited the slasher genre because after watching these back to back to back, it's like I, it is draining and the self-aware and talented Wes Craven making something as monumental as Scream just is very special. Like it, took everything that has been corroding slowly in these movies and like turned it on its head. So if anything, these movies are giving me a better appreciation for a different movie franchise. No, absolutely. And I mean, like, it's funny because I watching, I watched Scream. I re I remember rewatching Scream in college and like having this epiphany of how brilliant it was, but it's really because of it exists on the tails of the coattails of movies like this, because Friday the 13th, more than almost any other horror franchise, sets up these rules. These rules that exist in Halloween and Nightmare on Elm Street and whatever. It's the, whatever, the teens partying and then getting killed by a, a, a whatever, a masked killer and or whatever. Yeah. Or, well, that's what's astounding, too, because, um, you know, as absurd as these movies are, we also have to take into account at the same exact time these movies are going, uh, you have at least three or four other uh, franchises that are doing the exact same thing. You have Nightmare mm-hmm. on Elm Street. You have the Chucky franchise. You have uh, what's it called? Pinhead. Uh, what is Hellraiser. It? Hellraiser. Although I don't know, remember when that one came out. 
Um, it's all the same era. Yeah, but that's what I'm saying. So, like, these outlandish slasher movies all were hitting at the exact same time. So, Scream is just very revolutionary. Not Right. But, anyway. Do you well, these... Get Yes. Well, no, I was going to say, well, the, well, the importance of these films is no matter how good or bad they are, they're all influencing each other to give uh, society movies like Scream or what would later be something like Cabin in the Woods or something that's like, hey, we're, we know how the rules work and we know what kind of world we're creating because we know audience expectations because we know the people watching these movies have seen countless horror movies no matter how good or bad. Yeah. So it, it's actually doing these. These are all building blocks for the horror genre itself, you know what I mean? And so even though part five is a, a horrific workout to get through, it's kind of like it's all part of the building blocks, you know what I mean? Yeah. So you want to get into your pick of the week? Yeah, sure. Um, so what I'm going to go with is Henry Portrait of a Serial Killer, 1986, same year as Jason Lives. Uh, a much more serious and psychological tape, take on serial killing, but... Um, I mean, that is some kind of movie. I don't know if you've seen it. It's Michael Michael Rooker. Uh, the movie, Michael Rooker, who's, you know, Yandu, Yandu. himself. Um, I mean, he was really no one at the time. It's in one of his earlier roles. And the movie was, like, banned from multiple countries for a little while. Already. It was, like, and it got, um, it has, like, a, I think, not an NC-17 rating, but I think it's, like, not rated. It didn't. The MPAA was like, we can't do this. There's multiple scenes of him just strangling women. Um, and it's just, it's really, it's a deep, deep psychological take on a serial killer. Um, it's a disturbing movie because so much of it is you kind of getting inside of his mind, kind of like American Psycho. Um, but it's not a fun watch. Um, getting into the horror genre, I realized the balance is where Friday the 13th is fun. Um, Henry Portrait of a Serial Killer is a reminder that because it's an incredible film and it really holds up um, of how dark and twisted uh, some people actually are. The fact that someone actually wrote a screenplay for that and Michael Rooker played it the way he did. Um, I highly recommend it. Uh, you have never seen it, so I do recommend it, obviously. <laughs> <laughs> but it's, uh, I don't know, if we're going to Serial Killers, that's the avenue I'm going to take this week. That's a good one. Oh. I'll I'll have to check it out. Yes, please to tell the good people at home. You're I'm going to go with 1954 Alfred Hitchcock classic Rear Window. Uh the oh, master man. of suspense here, you know. Alfred Hitchcock has the quote, I think everybody enjoys a nice murder provided he is not the victim. You know, so that's kind of what we've been talking about in general with these Friday the 13th movies. Absolutely. That movie is almost pitch perfect i honestly there's literally nothing you could take out of it it's suspenseful it's uh brilliant it's a commentary on who we are as moviegoers in general and you know there's not as many kills in a friday the, as in the friday the 13th movies but it's a lot more uh a lot more suspenseful than them, I guess. It's uh, yeah, that was one of those Robin had to watch for her uh, film class, and I was I had rewatched with her. It was like, been years since I'd seen it, and that's always in the back of my mind. It's always been one of my movies, and just rewatching it a couple of months ago, I was reminded why. I mean, just the way it's shot. I mean, just uh, yeah, you never leave the apartment. You were literally looking out from one window the entire time. It's I crazy. mean, it's the the amount of 
work into putting perspective in the literal and metaphorical, um, you know, palette. It's just, I mean, I don't know. It's very admirable because it's just like, like you said, like you never leave the apartment, but because you only have glimpses of these other people's lives, your imagination kind of runs a little wild because you just paint the picture in your head of what's going on behind these walls. So it's yeah. very, it's very brilliant in that way. And in a post, well, I guess we're not like entirely post, but in like a COVID world, it's very applicable because. Yeah, absolutely. You know, now more than ever. Yeah. Jeffrey's the, uh, James Stewart character is literally confined to his apartment because of his broken leg and he's stuck there for six weeks we can all understand how that went uh so that's my pick of the week I love it man that's a good that's a good note to end on and next week we will be covering part seven and eight and we're on the other side of the hill and we're all Jason's on the other side of the hill and in Manhattan. He's ready to take Manhattan. He's ready to take Manhattan. <laughs> so oh he's boy. coming for me. Uh, oh, man. As always, you could follow me on Instagram at Mr. Philmart. And we will see you next week. Mm.